Hey everyone, welcome to yet another episode of Morgan Webster's Wrestling Friends. Hope everyone's good. As always, I'm the undisputed king of the mods, the mod father of professional wrestling, Flash Morgan Webster. And more importantly than that, for the next five minutes, to the hour, to the hour and a half, however long this conversation with the wonderful Sam Roberts goes this week, I will be your host. As I see it, facilitate there for these chats, discussions, gatherings. You know me, absolutely love that word, gatherings. With your wrestling favourites, we like to see them, my buddies, my pals, my acquaintances, my wrestling friends. Uh, this podcast um, comes to you free of charge and has done since uh, lockdown started up again. Um, and it's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Buzzsprout. Uh, a little extra, it's on YouTube. Um, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, you'll notice that SoundCloud is missing off that. Um SoundCloud, I'm now not putting it on SoundCloud. Um, when I started this podcast, I was looking for the best outlet to do that. I was very unknowledgeable about podcasts. Uh, I put it onto SoundCloud for that to be uh, f- given the hours and the time and the amount of hours and audio that I put out for me to do that. I had to have a premium account on SoundCloud. I've recently realised that I was paying uh, that money to have that on SoundCloud and then having to distribute it myself through all these different channels and like add it to Spotify and add it to all these other places and I found out that Anchor is absolutely great Anchor's free of charge Anchor then distributes it all for me and allows me to uh, kind of get this podcast at more places so that does mean of course that it's no longer on SoundCloud I will say this if anyone is listening anyone has a little bit more information and is a little bit more savvy on this I want to know this if now I've rerouted, I three or wonder if people know what that means, uh, to Anchor from SoundCloud. Um, I currently am still having to pay for a premium service because I think that the moment I deactivate that, I'm going to lose all the podcasts uh, off SoundCloud. So the the challenge here really is, if I stop paying it, does it automatically then vanish off all my iTunes? Because I no longer have the premium account, so it means that SoundCloud no longer no longer puts that out. Or because I've now three hundred one directed it, does it all stay there? So if anyone if anyone knows any of that, then please drop me an email at flashmorgan@live.co.uk. That would be a lot of help. Or if there's a way for for me to move that all over onto Anchor and keep the order without me having to do hours and hours and hours of re-uploading again. Please uh, do that. But again, this podcast, as I said, apologies, I went off on then. It does come to you free of charge on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Buzzsprout, Spotify, uh, and loads of other places, which um, Anchor now sorts out for me. So yeah, big thanks to Anchor for doing that. Um, I'm able to do that. In part, last week was our sponsor, Suplex Powell. Um, no sponsors again this week. But again, the best way you can support this podcast uh, is by tweeting it out. Uh, on your social medias, um, again, any episode you enjoy, please at Flash underscore Morgan on the Twitter. Um, I am sharing that out. Um, again, leave me a rate, subscribe, review on iTunes. That's always great as well. I will be drawing out um, the winner of the of the rate, subscribe, review draw this week. So um, I'll put that on next week's episode because I've been pretty busy the last two days. So. We all did. That's how busy I am. Look at that. Well, that's good. I've got that coffee. Um, but yeah, I've got 
uh, for any of you that is doing that, please be sure to uh, get on social media and let everyone know that you enjoyed the podcast at Flash underscore Morgan on Twitter, Facebook.com forward slash Flash Morgan Webster, um, at Flash Morgan Webster on the Instagram. Or if you can give me some help on that information on podcasts, on whether I do need to manually upload everything now to Anchor, or whether I can just stop paying premium uh, on, on SoundCloud and or SoundCloud Pro, whatever you want to call it, and even if it doesn't appear on SoundCloud anymore because they slowly get like hidden, if it will then continue to be shown in other places because I've redirected it, or if there's a way I can do that, let me know. Again, email is flashmorganatlife.co.uk. Big thanks for everyone who bought one of those uh, one of those T-shirts or two T-shirts in some cases. Um, me and Mark will be announcing how much we raised for uh, NHS, uh, meals for the NHS. In a couple of weeks, the, the amount of T-shirts we sold... Um, especially during this time we never expected to sell that many so you lot are absolutely brilliant thank you thank you so much for doing that really do appreciate it but yeah this week i guess uh miss episodes with sam roberts it's fantastic i'm not going to get into it too much um i really enjoy doing these episodes with people that are not that are not wrestlers and and i reason i enjoy doing it so much is because as much as everyone's story is different it is along the same parallels and I can understand and I can relate to a lot of people's stories and I know like what it's like to walk into a training school for the first time. I know what it's like to have your first match. I know what it's like to kind of have to go on your first international booking and, and I know the little I know the stories and yet the steps are different and everyone has a different story. But I as a wrestler of being there and I know a lot of the steps and not not all of them, but I know a lot of the steps. When it comes to someone like Sam Roberts and how he get got into wrestling through journalism, I haven't got a clue. And that's what makes these so interesting. So um, if you're a wrestling fan, this is fantastic. If you're uh, a fan of journalism, this is fantastic. If you're a fan of both, brilliant. If you know anyone who's into journalism, who's into wrestling and wants to try to break into wrestling, um, then again, this is a fantastic episode for them to listen to. And uh, I hope you enjoy. So please, um, I guess I've waffled on long enough in this heat. Please sit back, relax and enjoy what is really a wonderful conversation with the one, the only, Sam Roberts. What's the apps? Enjoy, people. How bad is it in New York at the moment? Um, it's super bad, especially in the city. I'm luckily I'm in a suburb, so yeah. uh, it's a little better. You know, the city is like ground zero, but even here, I mean, you know, everyone's out there with masks on. Can't really do anything except go to the grocery store, and yeah, I mean. I'm glad that I don't live in the city because we're not all on top of each other. So you could still go for walks and stuff like that. But, and, you know, go for drives just to see what the world looks like. But other than that, it's just sit at home. You born and raised in New York? Yeah, actually, yeah. So I was was born in New York and I moved to the UK for four years when I was a kid and then moved back here. Oh, where in the UK? Um, in England, in Surrey. Oh, how come? How come you moved to England for four years? Uh, my dad was working in advertising, and uh, he would he would hop around sometimes and get new jobs and start new branches and you know work for these global companies. And his job just took him to England, so we ended up uh, spending four years because his job changed, and we lived in. Uh, in Surrey, in Walton-on-Thames for four years. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, for anyone who uh, is, 
isn't familiar, uh, my guest today, of course, is Sam Roberts. Thank you for joining me today, Sam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we all appreciate. It. We just uh, we just did your uh, did your show, and now we're going to do mine. I think that's the first time I've ever bounced from one podcast to the other or one show to the other. Yeah, I like that we did it that way. I, I mean, when I was like, okay, do you want to do two in a row, or do you want it? And you're just like, yeah, let's just knock out both in a row. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Let's yeah, let's, let's get really familiar. Yeah, yeah, again, and my uh, my podcast is usually a little bit longer too. So I thought it was quite nice to kind of like sit and chat with you, and then I felt like we built up a bit of a rapport, and then it kind of makes it a little bit easier too. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Sam, how I usually like to start these is, and I've been, again, I've been playing with and toying with how to do this review because uh, I always like to throw in a non-wrestler, somebody who's involved in the wrestling world, mm-hmm. but not wrestler every now and again because it just changes it up. It's a little bit different, but then comes down to the uh, how I start this. So I, I usually start with asking what people's earliest memory of wrestling is. When can they remember falling in love with wrestling? Because, of course, they become wrestlers. But then again, I toy around with the idea of how do I do this? Do I go down journalism with you? But I think I think I am going to start with that question. Um, what's your earliest memory of wrestling? When do you remember falling in love with wrestling? Maybe that's two. Maybe that's two things. Maybe it's one. Yeah, no, that's the right call because like wrestling is for sure my first love, and and I mean you know wrestling is wrestling is my number one passion. Like it's it, it, and it always has been. Uh, I don't remember, like, I'm one of those, I don't remember a time where I didn't watch. I don't know when exactly I started, because I don't have a childhood memory when I wasn't watching wrestling yet, and I never have stopped. I, like, I didn't have any downtimes or anything. Like, the first storyline that I really remember kind of sucking me in and, and getting involved was probably the lead-up to WrestleMania Seven between Hogan and Slaughter. So I was like, probably, I would have been like seven years old then. That's probably when those memories, you know, I don't know, you know, I, I kind of have like scattered bits and pieces before that, but that's where I really know that I was locked in by then. And I really remember like, I couldn't believe what Sergeant Slaughter was doing. And all I wanted was Hulk Hogan to come back. And I was so upset that uh, Slaughter had won the title from the warrior the way he did. And the Macho King had interfered and the whole thing. That was the first storyline. I remember being wrapped up in. But speaking of the UK, my first show that I went to, and I think probably going to the first show was when it was like, this is this is my lifetime thing. This is this is what's going to fuel me. My first show was SummerSlam '92 in Wembley. No. Yeah, yeah. And my dad, my dad brought home tickets like three days before the show. Like I had just kind of given up hope on going because it's you know ninety thousand people, but it sold out in two hours or whatever it was. So my dad had somehow found tickets and he came home with them and he just like handed them to me. And I was like, well, what are these? He's like, well, what do you think they are? And I mean, I freaked out to the, I don't think I've ever freaked out like that before. I freaked out. I couldn't believe it. It was happening. And my parents have since told me that they were a little bit worried about bringing me to a show because they were worried that I would go to the show and I, you know, see, oh, I don't know if they really just hit each other just there. And, oh, I don't know if this is exactly as it appears. And, you know, I was like, I guess, eight, nine years old at that time. And that would like they were worried that I would see it wrestling for what it was and I wouldn't like it anymore. And like, I mean, the exact opposite happened. I, I, I saw it and like seeing it up close and seeing all the colors and all the characters and being there in Wembley. And it was like, it's one of my best 
childhood memories. And I mean, from that point on, I, even before that, but really from that point on, it was like, this is, this is all I want around me. Man, that's absolutely mental. Like, do you know how many, how many people are probably listening to this podcast? Absolutely jealous. That you <laughs> went to that. That's like, that's like the pinnacle of uh, British wrestling right there. Like, Everyone, whenever you speak to a British wrestling fan, they talk about yeah. like the moments, especially the ones who are old enough to remember that. They always talk about that SummerSlam. I mean, yeah, and it was absolutely it. It, it lived up to everything. And I mean, just and WWE just it was so big in scope, especially for the time. Just everything was huge. Seeing like the Road Warriors come down the aisle on their motorcycles with those big giant gold shoulder pads, and and Undertaker coming to the ring in the hearse. And then everything just leading up and leading up to that bulldog Brett match. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just and that's why I like to. I love that that kid who at the beginning of the pay per view said the, the bulldog's going to win whether he wants to or not. Like, <laughs> I love that he's become such a meme because I remember as a kid I was obsessed and I was kind of like I was like, where were they filming that? I was there. I wish I could have been in the intro for SummerSlam. I would, what that kid said didn't even make any sense. What do you mean whether he wants to or not? And now that it's become a meme, I'm like, it's like a part of my childhood, you know? Can you imagine if that had actually been you and you said that <laughs> and then you came on to become Sam Roberts? That would have been great. You know the amount of people that hate me on Twitter now, if they also had that clip to play every time I was on WWE TV, how much? <laughs> <laughs> so... Like, you had this love of wrestling. Why didn't you go into wrestling? Why didn't you become a wrestler? So, I am, I mean, like, unusually unathletic. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where is he going with this? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, there is not an athletic bone in my body. And also, I don't have that athlete mentality. Like, I couldn't, as a kid make myself train for any sport or workout or practice or do anything like that. I mean, I just didn't, I am not built mentally or physically to be an athlete in any way, shape or form, everything else. And I don't even like sports. So like I get it, but it just, it's, it's, it's the entertainment aspect of wrestling that clearly drew me in. And, and, and I kind of figured out pretty early that the athletic part of it is not for me and it's not going to ever be something that I'd be good at. And I, it's not even something that I'm that was that interested in being good at. I just didn't see myself, you know, like I, I didn't see myself as a wrestler past the age of like eight. I was, I, it just didn't, it didn't make sense to me. I wanted to be close to wrestling. I wanted to, I, I wanted wrestling around me all the time. I just didn't see myself as an athlete. So did you kind of, would you be one of these people that would watch wrestling and you would, you'd see like, you mean jeans and you say, okay, I want to be an announcer or I want to be uh, an interviewer backstage. Yeah. I mean, like there, there is, I I'm sure my mom could find him somewhere. Like I would sit there and, you know, have my little talk boy tape recorder and I would, I would do a macho man and a Vince McMahon impression. And I would just be doing like commentary for shows that weren't even happening. Like I would just cut commentary tapes into my tape recorder and I would, and that would be a big part when I had my wrestling figures, I would do all the commentary and all the interviews and stuff like that. Like 
I loved that, and I didn't understand exactly how anybody got into that. Like, how could you just be a person that sat there and talked about what you saw? Because I could talk about wrestling all day long. Like, I always saw that part of it and thinking that, yeah, like, I, anything that wasn't being an actual wrestler, I was like, yeah, I could do that. I could be a manager or a commentator or a, or an interviewer or, or any of that, anything except the athlete part. So when you kind of like, what led you or what did you think to yourself, okay, I'm going to take this route and I'm going to try to get into wrestling or did you kind of start looking at other avenues and then journalism came up and you just kind of started going down that route instead? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know quite what the, what the pathway would be for me in wrestling. And, and, you know, I kind of wait for things to kind of, show themselves to me and go like, okay, this makes sense. This is the path I'm going to follow. Um, and I didn't, I didn't see what that was. I was also like a big radio fan and a radio nerd and, and, and a media fan and everything. So by the time I got to college, that's really where I started. Cause I was like, okay, this makes sense. You do college radio. I know I can do radio. Uh, you go to a, a college that has a good radio station and then you get an internship and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, let me, let me see what this is. And I started doing radio and I loved that too. So I was like, okay, yeah, radio is what I'm going to go for. And that is what I went for and what I've been doing and, and how I make my living and everything. Um, so it, it, it was just kind of the thing that made sense to me and also what my passion was and th- what I thought I could be good at. What was it then about radio? We talk about like your earliest memory of wrestling. What made you fall in love with wrestling and that being your passion? But you said like, okay, you did get into radio. So what? What was it? What What was your? What was it about radio that kind of drew you in? Why not? Why not TV, for example? Well, I think radio just felt more real. And, you know, it's kind of like wrestling in the sense that like the performer has some control theoretically over their performance and. When I watched movies, like I like movies and, you know, I've always kind of liked the idea of being a writer or a director or or that type of thing. But being an actor, for instance, never appealed to me whatsoever. And being like a news anchor or something like that never appealed to me whatsoever or a host or just these because it doesn't feel like those people have a lot of control over the story or the narrative or the content that they're putting out there. What I loved about radio is that. Generally speaking, the host that you were listening to was the primary producer of what you were hearing. The host was the one with control over the show, and 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 the host was the one with the content uh, w- w- that was creating the content. It wasn't just like this group of people in a room created this content, and this host comes in to kind of you know be the the mouthpiece for it. It was no, this is my vision for a radio show, and here it is. And that's what I've always liked is, is is being able to create content and then give and, and actually create the content. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I was like a big Howard Stern fan, a big Opie and Anthony fan, a big talk show, talk radio fan, where it would just be a guy sitting there, maybe a couple of guys sitting there and talking and creating entertainment just through talking and counting on themselves and their ability to stay interesting 
and going out there and 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 putting on a show that people want to sit in their cars and listen to. Like I just love that art form of it, and I really don't think that there's anything like that. There's definitely nothing like that in television. I think you know, podcasting and YouTube has sort of evolved into something that's very very close, and as radio has, has corporatized a little bit more, podcasting and YouTube is kind of uh, taken over that space in a really good way. Um, but yeah, but that's why it was never, ever about, you know, doing TV and movies and stuff like that. Well, I, I did want to get into kind of like the talk about the rise of podcasts, but, mm-hmm. um, before we do that, like, as you said, radios really has changed. They used to have it where there would be hours upon hours of talking. And now that seems to not be the way anymore. Why do you think that is? Um, you know, I think that, uh, in radio, people stopped uh, taking risks. You know, radio became uh, a target for for the FCC uh, a, a while back, like right around the Super Bowl uh, when Janet Jackson exposed herself and Justin Timberlake and all that. For some reason, they came down hard on radio, and like FCC fines started multiplying by by an, tenfold, not doubling, not tripling, but multiplying by ten. And, and they started finding stations and they started finding stations. There were a lot of shows that were syndicated to a lot of stations. And if there was any sort of FCC violation uh, of any form, uh, you would get fined not only per violation, but per, per violation per station. And it would be these enormous fines. So stations started taking a lot less risks in order to avoid, uh, avoid those fines. I also think that radio was really the first victim of of cancel culture where people started protesting and people started contacting advertisers and and it just got to a place where radio got so crazy that they dialed it all the way back you know in in the in the late 90s going into the 2000s radio was still the wild west and it got to a place where it got so big and it got so crazy that they just dialed it all the way back to the point that, you know, I think it's kind of past the point of no return, especially since now there's other avenues for creative people to go down. With that, like, again, I didn't know a lot about that. So that's, that's, I'm learning about that now. And again, I am somebody who avidly listens to podcasts, put a podcast out myself, which we are on, of course. And do you think then that that freedom they took away from the radio stations um, kind of evolved into the art form that is podcast just because again people aren't uh you know under a banner of okay this has to be out by a certain time you have to go a certain length do you reckon it's just again freedom that's kind of allowed podcast to become the next big thing yeah i mean i also think that people's uh what was interesting is people's tastes have changed and people's expectations for content has changed a lot too where you kind of aren't looking for i mean for some things i guess you are but the the idea of something needing to be polished and hitting the hour and and sort of super, super, super produced is not quite as necessary anymore. It's still good in some situations, but it's not a necessity. You know, you can just turn on your recorder and have a conversation with your friend and people like hearing that as well. And I think that that, that sort of full alternative to the super polished, corporatized, talk show is what has made podcasting and YouTube so big. I mean, I'm on uh, Sirius XM satellite radio in the States, and that's kind of the last beacon of, of 
kind of creativity under the the corporate umbrella, I think. You know, one of the last. There's still some good radio shows uh, in the States. They're still out there, but it doesn't seem like that pile is being added to, if that makes sense. Um, Doing stuff on Sirius has been great because I feel like like that's the best of both worlds, where you have this kind of uh, professional environment, right, where things are taken care of, but at the same time, there there's literally no content restrictions, and my co-host and I are allowed to completely do whatever we want every morning. So that I, I found that to be just kind of the a great mix and the best of both worlds. Is the is the content you're putting out on there now similar to what you were putting out when you first started into radio? Um, no, I mean, in a way, yeah, in the sense that it's just me, but it's certainly like I've evolved a lot. You know, it's still comedy. It's still top of mind stuff. It's still what I, I, I want to be doing, but I, I just think me changing as a person and also me learning how to actually broadcast has made it so that, that it's different, but you can still hear the same, you can still hear it's the same person. Like I haven't, you know, changed that much. My character hasn't changed as much as, you know, my ability to, to act uh, on a professional level maybe has changed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You talk about kind of improving as a broadcaster. Um, mm-hmm. I always speak to wrestlers and say to them, is there, a, is there a moment in your career where you kind of like, you either, something happened, like epiphany moment where you're like, okay, okay, I feel now like I'm really hitting my stride, or there's a moment where you think you're hitting your stride, and then all of a sudden you kind of, something happens, or you kind of interact with somebody, and you realize that you know absolutely nothing, and you have to like kind of <laughs> ream it back and kind of pull it back together again. Is there a moment within your journalism career that you kind of, think that happened to you i don't know if there's one moment i feel like it's lots of it's lots of little things i mean i think it's more like uh like dealing with behind the scenes stuff where like there have been multiple times where i'll hear like gossip right from like from like underlings like like us young guys are all gossiping and like i'll like go like oh my god is this what's happening is that what's happening this is what's happening and I'll go and talk to bosses about it. Like, look, you can't do this. And they'll go, Sam, we're not doing that. Like, what, <laughs> like why, why would you even come to me with this? And I'm like, well, I just heard. And they're like, so what? Like, why would they know any more than you? And I was like, oh, I guess that's a really good point. Like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't worry so much about all this kind of, you know, nonsense going on behind the scenes and just worry about getting better. You know what I mean? And just worry about uh, building on what I'm doing and just trusting the process. Um, I think those are the little, the little takeaways. And it's just like, it's, it's just, it's a brick by brick process. You know, it's just like little nuggets here and there that you just add in and add in and add in until eventually I kind of can sit back and go like, you know what? There's no way I could have done that a couple of years ago. There's no way I could have handled this. Like, you know, I, I, you don't realize it until you like take time to reflect even on like your recent past and go like, Oh wow, no, I've evolved a lot since then. Talking about like, kind of like I couldn't have done that back then. When did you kind of get the feeling that you could start doing the Sam Rollett show, not just, you know, bringing in the wrestling and bringing in that outside was, 
was the early stuff, did it still incorporate wrestling a little bit? Or was it something that kind of, as you said, drip fed in and then it became its own thing? So it's interesting. I, yeah, I was working for uh, this show called Opie and Anthony as a producer. And they're like, a, uh, they were like a pretty big shock jock type show. Um, and I would, I started talking about wrestling on the show. Uh, but I started doing, so like, I first started talking about wrestling on the radio with them um, when WWE was doing the storyline where Vince McMahon's limo blew up. And uh, they got on the air the next day and started being like super sarcastic, like how dumb it was. Like, what is he doing now? And they were like, oh, Sam likes wrestling. Sam, explain this to us. And I don't (laughs) know why, but I went in and just completely straight ahead i'm like i can't believe you guys are making fun of this and they're like what do you mean it's dumb and i'm like a guy died last night guys vince mcmahon blew up (laughs) and and like and like fully straight on straight ahead and they were like what and i'm like yeah yeah he's the limo blew up and we don't know who did it and i do know (laughs) information and and like completely just went with the storyline a hundred percent and to the point where they would like call me in every day and go like sam is there any update and i'm like well it is being reported online that this happened. And they'd be like, well, where are they reporting that online? Uh, WWE.com is reporting. <laughs> it. And so, like, that started. And then um, they, they did uh, press conferences before WrestleMania and some of the other big events, but mainly WrestleMania, usually at the Hard Rock Cafe in Times Square, which was not far from where the studio was. And I don't even remember when it was, but I, I realized, wait a minute, like, press conferences are for media, I'm I work for a radio show like that counts. That's the media. I'm in the media like I can go to these things. And like, you know, I I had reached out to their uh, PR who I had met one of the PR people because he would bring in guests for the show. And I was like, can I go to the press conferences? And he was like, yeah, of course you can. Like, yeah, we'd be happy. Yeah, duh, that's what they're for. I'm like, oh, great. And so I started going to the press conferences and doing interviews um, but really the purpose of doing the interviews was to try to get sound bites or ask dumb questions that I could give to Opie and Anthony to put on the air to either laugh at or just to make fun of me. Like maybe if I ask a stupid question, they'll put it on and they'll be able to make fun of me for it and it'll be all good. But, you know, a lot of times I either wouldn't get anything or I get like one clip out of this whole thing. And there was just one press conference that I went to and I was like, what if I just do wrestling interviews and put them up on YouTube? And then I'll ask like a couple of questions that Opie and Anthony can play. But the rest of it, I'll just put it up on my YouTube channel. And people were into it. And I was like, oh, I could just go and I don't have to. I could just be a wrestling fan and talk to wrestlers. And it wasn't like at the time there wasn't that much of that. Like now it's kind of everywhere. But back then there really wasn't so much of that going on. And so I started doing that more. And every time there was a press conference or an opportunity or if a wrestler would go to Opie and Anthony, I'd go like, oh, do you think I could interview him for 20 minutes after the show? And they'd be like, yeah, of course. And and that's how that started happening. And then as I started building out my career past working for Opie and Anthony and doing my own stuff and being a host and, and creating my own shows, I started incorporating wrestling and having wrestlers on and, and doing it in a way where it wasn't like a goof anymore. It was just like, hey, you know, this is one of the things I'm a fan of, so let's have this wrestler on and we're going to talk about wrestling and that would be a segment on the show and and that's kind of how it how it started and how the two worlds started to co-mingle 
was there a moment again kind of using the question we did earlier on was there a moment then when you started creating this because you said there wasn't a lot of people doing this you were kind of putting the content onto youtube and it was getting like some decent traction was there a moment you can remember where you were a bit like okay this isn't just a side project anymore this this could be what i do yeah um i uh i used to ask everybody what's the haps and again, I mean, we talked about it on my show with you. It was one of those things like the way, you, you know, you're doing a character and it made you stand out. I was just like, what's the haps? It's such a stupid question. Everybody's got the same answer, which is what? Like, what do you what? I don't know what you just said. What does that mean? Um, and so I would ask people that just to start interviews, just because you would always get funny responses from it. And I did a montage of it at one of these WrestleMania press conferences one year. And. Paul Heyman tweeted it out and it was before I had any association with WWE. It was before anything like Paul Heyman was the first sort of mainstream wrestling person that just, and I don't even think he was working at WWE at the time. And he just tweeted it out because he thought it was so ridiculous that it was, you know, dumb me asking everybody what's the haps. Um, and I was, and it blew my mind cause I grew up an ECW fan and I was like, Oh my God, I started texting my friends. Paul Heyman just tweeted out my video. Blah, 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 blah. And and that and and that, and I realized like people are watching this thing and people like it and then I would do like a full interview after that and and those people that liked that were like oh wow that was a really good interview I learned a lot about this person and 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 it grew from there but that was really the first the first one where I was like oh this is a whole other career there's the radio stuff here but then there's the wrestling stuff over here and that that's also a real thing one of the things that kind of like you got a lot of notoriety for was like those big live shows ahead of summer slams. Yeah. So um, you talk about Paul Heyman. Was Heyman one of the first big guests that you had on those live shows? He was. Yeah. He was on the first show. The first show uh, before SummerSlam was uh, Paul Heyman and Corey Graves. And they both just did it. I mean, we had, we didn't, they both just did it be, as a, as a favor. You know, I was, I was, I was, luckily I was friends, uh, good friends with one of the people who work in PR and WWE. And so I did go through them. So it wasn't like, you know, me trying to hit people up and do things on the sly, but it was kind of a last minute thing that me and this other guy just kind of put together because we thought we were going to get more help than we did. And then I was friends, I mean, friendly with Paul Heyman and I was friends with Corey Graves and they both just agreed to do it, you know, and, and, and that kind of got the whole thing started, but, but yeah, yeah. Heyman was, Heyman was on the first live show and he was amazing. Outside of these, and I'll go back to these shows in a minute, but you're talking about like kind of being friends with Corey Graves and stuff like that. Were you doing stuff on the independent scenes? Were you trying to get yourself in your foot in the door in promotions and stuff like that? Or was you strictly doing uh, the Sam Roberts show? No, yeah, I was doing in a lot, uh, as much independent stuff as I could, because that was another thing. Like, I was just, I got on the radio because I wanted to be on the radio. Like, it was just what I was doing. But then, like, I was looking around and I was realizing that all these indie shows had like people that were on the radio just on their shows because it was good promotion for them. And I was like, oh, you could just do that. And so I started like emailing every independent show that was within driving distance. And just emailing people that were running these shows going, hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. And if there's anything I can do to help your show, like, you know, let me know. I would love to just be a part of your show in any way. And there was one guy that got back to me and he just happened to be promoting kind of a one-off show um, in my old high school. 
And he was like, yeah, we're doing a boxer wrestler match. And Larry Sweeney, Sweet and Sour Larry Sweeney is in it. And, you know, maybe you could be like a guest judge of the boxer wrestler match. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And they were like, yeah. And then, and then you know, since you're like the hometown boy, you'd be like a baby face. But then you can turn heel and like be the crooked judge. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I did that show and like had the time of my life and like got to give a guy a low blow and everything. And I was like, holy shit, this is this is it. This is the dream come true. And I met a guy named Steve Mack on that show who had also known me from radio and stuff. And we got to talking. We became friends. And like a couple months after that, he called me and said that they were looking for a commentator for at this promotion called Jersey All Pro Wrestling. And Jersey All Pro was like a pretty big promotion here on the East Coast. And I was like, oh, my God, I would love to do that. Yeah. And he was like, OK, we'll come out to the next show in Jersey and and then we'll just go from there. And for they they were running once a month for probably a year. It's probably towards the tail end of that promotion running regularly, unfortunately. But, yeah, I mean, for about a year or so, every month I was doing commentary. And it's really funny because now, like, clips will come up of guys that are in WWE now or women that are in WWE now. And it's like matches that they had in Jersey All Pro, and people will be like, "Wait a minute, is that Sam Roberts on commentary?" And it's like, it's like, yeah, yep, that's what I was doing. Did you think at the time that it was just going to be an easy transition from comment, like from being a radio host to doing commentary? And was it an easy transition? No, it was not an easy transition. And I don't, I don't know that I thought that it would be. I, I don't know that I thought that much about it. You know what I mean? I just kind of researched everybody and figured that I would figure it out when I got there because I didn't know like you know I listened to a ton of commentary and I would do commentary like I said into a tape recorder when I was a kid or or you know I would try to do it for matches I was watching on TV as I knew this was coming up but I just never been a part of it and I remember like sitting down and doing it for the first time and it also wasn't like okay I'll do commentary here and then I'll be able to move on here it was just simply it would be awesome to do commentary for Jersey All Pro. That, I mean, that, that that stop, full stop, right? But I remember, and luckily the guy who was doing play-by-play next to me was like so, his name is Mark Clemson, and he's so professional, and he had tons of notes written up for every match and like made it really easy for me. And I, I mean, I owe him everything in that period. But um, yeah, it was one of those things where I got off a line in the first match. And I was like, okay, I did it. This is commentary. I'm doing it. And then this realization sat in where I was like, oh my God, I have to do this for the whole show. Like like I felt, I felt so good when I got off that first line and I was like, I have to sit here and do this for another three hours. I don't have that in me. I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do, but, but it ended up being uh, okay. And obviously, you know, the more reps you can get in doing anything, the more comfortable you feel and the better that you get at it. But yeah, that was that first realization that, that, oh my God, pace yourself, Sam. You have to do this all night. Yeah, I don't I don't think people realize that. I think it is definitely, and I was one of those people, again, who thought it was a lot easier than it was. Oh. Again, you have to sit there for three hours, you said. And also, it's trying to create content for three hours off the top of your head that isn't repetitive because again we can have this conversation and no doubt if you were to sit and listen to me back i definitely say the same phrases over and over again because that's just the way we talk we build up habits and routines 
And my opening bits, my intros and outros, sometimes after we record those a couple of times, because again, I'll repeat, I'll say absolutely fantastic about four times in the space of seven minutes. But again, it's so difficult to be good at commentary, call what you're seeing off the top of your head, make it interesting, but also not repetitive. Yeah. And I have this like huge pressure that I feel because uh, not only am I going like, OK, like the audience has to enjoy this. But I feel this immense pressure as a person who doesn't wrestle that I can't sit here and these guys are killing themselves in the ring to put on an entertaining product. If I sit here and do something that's either so bad or disrespectful or whatever that it poo-poos on what they're doing in the ring, like I've just – that's the whole reason we're here is because of those guys in the ring. Like that – I have to – compliment and highlight this there has to be a reason for me being here which is just to point out look at what is happening this is the story being told in the ring um and that's it yeah so that's like an added pressure of like don't suck not only because the promotion has trusted you to put you in this position but because there's a lot of guys who are out there busting their ass trying not to suck and you can make them suck just by sucking you're uh I like that you're, you're Morgan Freeman in the Shawshank Redemption when that opening narration comes up. Like, it's, it's all with you. Like, if they, if they give you 10 seconds again doing the entrance and stuff like that, some people will sometimes turn the volume off if they don't like commentary, but sometimes commentary can ruin a, a match completely. So you're totally right. Yeah, like, like, I mean, think about it. Like, if you have this match that you're proud of, and then you're like, oh, what did people think of that? And the reaction is commentary sucked. You're like, well... <laughs> Like, what was what did I work so hard for then, if that's your reaction to it? Going back to those uh, opening SummerSlam shows you did, did they get a big response when you first did them? The live shows? Yeah, the live shows. Yeah, yeah, they got they got a really, really positive response. We packed out uh, Caroline's Comedy Club there in New York City, and I thought it was really cool that I was getting people that would come every year and also, you know, I mean, months out being like, who's going to be the guest this year? Who's going to be the guest this year? And, and just people who were so excited about that every year. Those are some of my favorite shows that I've done. Um, yeah, they were always really, really fun. Was there any big problems you found while doing those live shows? Cause again, I've only ever done live podcasts maybe two or three times and they are, I feel like they're very different to when you do podcasts like myself and you are doing now. Is there any big problems you can remember or anything you kind of realized that you had to learn as you kind of went along? No, I mean, I really like doing them. When we're on stage and we're doing them and the guests are there, I, I really like that. I like the, seeing the audience enjoy it. I like, you know, everybody having a good time. Like, I really like doing them. I hate, hate leading up to them. I hate worrying about ticket sales. I hate worrying if a guest is not going to be able to show up or is going to flake out or has other plans or whatever it is. Or I hate having to ask people to, to book them. Like, I hate every aspect of putting it together. It gives me, like, horrible anxiety. Weeks leading up to it, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm, – I just have this dread over my head everywhere that I go. I hate it. Once I get there and, and if it goes well, it feels incredibly rewarding – the the sitting there and talking to some of the people that I've talked to on these shows, even as it's happening, I'm like, this is uh, this is as good as it gets. This is incredible that I was able to pull this off. Um, but the lead up to it is ju- is torturous for me. Is the is the payoff worth the lead up? Yeah, usually, usually it is. 
especially those bigger shows. Yeah, like when I sit back and I go like, like I'm really happy with the event that I put on for the people that were there. Like the people there really liked it. You know, the the guests had a great time. Um, and and you know, I put it on my back and I pulled it off. Like it does, it does feel good at the end. But man, is it a lot of is it, is it a lot of? And it's all internal. But it it it, it is just a lot. For me to take on my wife always knows like she's like okay so like i'm not gonna eat the day of and it's not even because it's not stage fright it's not anything like that like i like being in front of an audience i like doing the show this is what i do it's just the anxiety and the dread of everything getting pulled off and 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 people feeling good about it and the and the guests and the whole the whole thing i mean i don't know it's just so much so much stress i kind of like totally know what you're talking about so like I love being out there in the ring. I love wrestling. It's like yeah. my most fun thing. But yeah. those days, the build-up is totally, uh-huh. it's just awful. Like, it feels like your stomach's, like, I don't feel nervous, but, like, my stomach kind of won't settle. And you've got that, that, that those thoughts in the back of your head. And even when you kind of, like, Mark Andrews said to me before, like, he goes, we've seen people mess up to the level that we can <laughs> never mess up. And he's like, you'll never, ever be as bad as that but you still can't shake that feeling. I just don't know what it is. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm exactly the same way, especially with the WWE stuff that I do like those, those days, man. And, and I'm, I'm, I've had, I think I couldn't imagine having a worse mess up than I've had there. And I've had, you know, some of the greatest successes, you know, as a broadcaster personally, like feeling good about it that I've had there. So I feel like everything should be, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, icing at this point, but I still, I still have that. And, and part of it is like you're worried that like you can't get too excited about it because somebody's gonna come up to you and be like, "Hey, that thing you were gonna do is canceled." You're like, "Okay, great. Well, so it was all for nothing." And I don't know. There's a there's a whole bunch of just emotions fluttering. But you're right. Like like I've already messed up as much as I can mess up. I've already had successes that are as good as I could hope they would be. So there's 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 really no reason to have this kind of dread leading into it but but i don't think we have control over that when you talk about jewelry let's let's get into that then so like we've you've done those those shows those SummerSlam ones that are big successes people were talking about it but how does wwe come along how can you yeah how how is that even possible well i mean i had i had tried to do stuff with wwe forever and it just hadn't happened you know i i at points earlier in my career i had sent in applications to be a writer that never got responded to i i did a audition for to be a commentator at wwe that you know they never they didn't even give me a yes or a no they were just like okay we acknowledge that you auditioned we're you know moving on <laughs> like yeah. and i was just like okay well i guess that's that but you know i had made a a a, a bunch of friends and acquaintances and, and just met a lot of people along the way and I met Michael Cole along the way and, and I had become friendly with him over the years. And, and, you know, we'd, we'd hung out a few times and, and he kind of knew who I was and what I did and, and, and I guess thought highly enough of me and knew what I wanted to do. And out of the blue one day, and this, I mean, I probably hadn't talked to him in a, in a long time. And certainly, you know, we weren't sitting here like going like, oh, we're going to get you in, Sam, and we're going to do this, we're going to do that. No conversations like that had happened 
I mean, ever. And it had been years. So it wasn't, this wasn't on the radar whatsoever. But I just got a call from Michael Cole one day. I was on the phone with my dad and like my phone started ringing. It was Michael Cole. And I was like, dad, I got to call you back. I don't know what this is. And he just called and he was like, hey, Sam. Um, so we're thinking about doing uh, uh, something a little different. We want to get uh, uh, some people on the kickoff show that are outside of WWE and they're kind of in the broadcaster world and your names come up. Is that something you want to do? I was like, I was like, yeah, man. Yes. That's something I want to do. Yeah, of course. He's like, okay, cool. Well, we're going to do it and and it'll be a one-off and blah, blah, blah. And we'll see how you do. And, and, and it kind of just happened like super quick. And I was like, okay. And it was still one of those things. Like, I wonder if this is really going to happen. And I went down to, I went up to Stanford and did like a mock show just to kind of get a feel for what it was. And then in, I think, December of 2016, 20, 2016, I think, uh, I did the kickoff show for Roadblock End of the Line. And, I mean, I, I, I did it. I kind of couldn't believe that I was there. Uh, it had all kind of just happened. And I went on and did my thing. And, and they were like, yeah, it was great. They kept calling me, and, and it just kind of, it just kind of went from there, but it, it, it just kind of happened. How did you become, you say you became, you were friends with Michael Cole and stuff like that, and you built up like a friendship. How did that happen? Is it again, just interviews throughout the time or? No. So I, uh, I was, I had become friends with Josh Matthews. If you remember Josh Matthews, he worked for, yeah, he was, a, he was, well, he's in TNA now, but he, uh, he worked for WWE for a long time. And I don't even really remember. I think we just kind of followed each other on Twitter and he knew that I was in radio and I knew that he was in wrestling and we started kind of chatting about interests that we both had and, and possibilities that this one wanted to do this and that one wanted to do that. And we met up a couple of times and, and ended up just, you know, I, he didn't get me involved in wrestling and I didn't get him involved in broadcasting, but we just started hanging out as friends and just became friends after that. Um, so we hung out for, you know, we were, we were close the whole time he was living in Stanford before he moved to, uh, Nashville um but that's you know I, I went on uh, on a road trip with him at one point and they were doing it I think they were doing a pay-per-view in Boston so I went up to Boston uh and hung out with him and he was hanging out with Michael Cole and he was like uh, hey Cole this is Sam and and you know and I think that's where I met Cole for the first time and again this is I mean this is years ago years ago um but yeah, we ended up talking there and we end up becoming friendly and it's just one of those things. With that first show you did, was it everything you expected or was it kind of like a little overwhelming? Or was it like, you know, was it was it nothing like you expected? Um, It was again, I mean, it was the same thing as the thing in Jersey All Pro, just on a bigger, 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 bigger scale. It was one of those things where I didn't know what to expect. Like I had kind of gone through the paces a little bit in Stanford, but I was like, I, I have no idea. You know, I mean, they were, it was really cool because they went in and they, they said, they were like, look, there's, there's verbiage for you here that's written that a writer wrote, but don't read it. Just go on and give your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were like, just give your opinion. Just tell us what you think. And I was like, okay. And, and, and I didn't, I was, yeah, I was nervous and and sort of stressed out and everything and i didn't feel comfortable until we just kind of did a run through and i sat with renee and booker t and like just kind of vibing off of renee and vibing off of booker t i was like and they i mean 
like you couldn't ask for two better people to be on a broadcast with. The ability that those two have to make people feel comfortable in a chair next to them in front of a microphone is like nothing that I've ever seen. They're from another planet, both of them. And, and it was literally like, I called my wife after and I was like, Jess, it's going to be okay. Like watch the show. It's going to be okay. And she's like, Oh my God, I'm so glad that you're saying that because you wouldn't say that if you didn't think. And I was like, no, I wouldn't. But it was just, yeah, it, it was their ability to kind of make me feel comfortable and, without even trying be like yeah we're just gonna have some fun here and like we're happy you're here and it's all good and i was like yeah this is just gonna be fun and we just went out there and talked about wrestling for an hour before a pay-per-view and it was great you know we spoke about on mine a little bit like that moment where you kind of have to go like like for me we said about like meeting Shawn michaels the first time was there any moments then where you kind of had to like almost pinch yourself where you met someone and you're like oh my god this is this is real this is happening well, I mean, I remember, so like at WrestleMania 29, uh, we that was in MetLife Stadium. That was in New York. And the media box, they, they, they said they had media tickets, and it was in one of those big you know stadium boxes up at the top. And it was a shared stadium box. It was technically the same stadium box that the friends and family were going to be in. And I was there again. I was with my wife. And that was really the first show that I was walking around and wrestlers were coming up to me and saying hi or coming up to me and referencing an interview that we did together or just, you know, making me feel on some level like we were in a community. And they, they like acknowledged my existence and like said like, oh, yeah, that's Sam and we do stuff together. And it felt like peers kind of, you know what I mean? And that was kind of the beginning of me. That was those were big sort of pinch myself moments. But in terms of like having those now, I mean, I still have them now. Like, I mean, dude, like after one of the NXT kickoff shows, or no, it was before one of the last NXT kickoff shows. What Shawn Michael and I mean, you know, we talked about Shawn Michaels on on the interview that I did with you on my podcast. But Shawn Michaels came up to me and he was like, "Sam, how's it going?" I'm like, "Oh." good man how are you and he's like great you're getting a little heat out here and he just kind of walked on and i'm like for Shawn michaels you're talking about people who get heat for Shawn michaels to just say that and like you know acknowledge what i've been doing and everything and he said that in a good way like about the audience i was like i mean i uh, pinch myself i was like punching myself in the face to, to <laughs> <laughs> if i was still breathing you know what i mean did any of the any of the wrestlers walk up or if they did how many of them walked up to you and said what's the haps <laughs> yeah many and many still do you know um which i love because I, I i just love that it's uh that it's caught on like that um i got to ask brock lesnar what's the haps you know i mean at that point i almost wanted to retire what's the haps because i was like there's no there's no better interview that i could do than brock lesnar asking him what's the haps it was like a two-question interview paul Heyman was like sam you have two and this is all like on camera he's like you have two questions so make them good it's like, okay, Paul, Brock, what's the haps? <laughs> and Paul just like put his head in his hand, like, you've got to be kidding me. But that was probably my favorite what's the haps moment. I think that was the first one I ever saw of yours. I think that was <laughs> my first. And I can remember just going, like, what is he doing? What? <laughs> like, I was like, Brock's going to eat him alive. <laughs> what's he doing? <laughs> yeah. And he did. He wanted to. I mean, he looked like he wanted to just rip my head off. 
But I was like, even if Brock Lesnar does literally rip my head off, what a way to go out. What a, if Brock Lesnar murders me today, we got it on video. It was all worth it. This it was it was worth it. I love as well how like Heyman's like you've got two questions and Heyman knowing you and having the history of you, he's like, he's going to ask him, he's going to ask him what's the apps I'm going to get to see Lesnar react to this kid. Yeah. I almost feel like that was Heyman testing me. Like, I'm going to give you two questions. I dare you to ask what's the haps. And then I did it. It was like, okay, all right, you did it. <laughs> uh, moving from like the, the pre-show stuff and the, the panels, they've kind of give you like bits and bits and more responsibility of stuff's going along. Um, is that just again from like they give you something and you you do really well at that and then they kind of try you do a little bit more and it's just built and built and built or is that being yourself asking for more responsibilities and asking to do more? Um, no, that's just I've I've been like, you know, I've been pretty pretty clear with everybody that I can be clear with that I will I want to do as much as you will have me do. Like this is, I mean, you know, I've I've been doing it for three years or however long it's been and it's like. I still walk into arenas like in awe, like this is a dream come true. Anything that you would like me to do, I would like, please let me. And so, and so it, you know, it's not necessarily been like, Hey, you know, can I do commentary on this? Hey, can I, it's just been, please keep me in mind for absolutely anything. And, you know, as, as stuff gets more of a response and they obviously seem like they like what I'm doing. And they also know that I have the ability to broadcast, you know, it's how I make my living. Um, I've just been, yeah, entrusted with like, let's try this. Hey, what if we try that? Hey, what if we try this? And, and I love that that's, that's the position that, that I'm in, that they trust me enough that they just try things with me. And, and who knows where any of that leads, you know? Well, speak about that. You've recently done like commentary of NXT and stuff like that is, is that the, the the main goal? Is that where you want to be with WWE? Do you want to be a full-time commentator? Do you want to be an on-screen presence? I would love to. I would love to. I mean, that doing commentary for NXT yeah, that week was like, that really, it really felt like this is something I could do. This is, this is something, and a lot of people were like, this is something you should never do. And I was like, <laughs> I, dis I disagree. I disagree very much. Um yeah, man. I mean, it was really cool to get to do that. It's funny, though, because, like, as a fan, I'm sitting there going, there's no commentary team that I would break up. There's no commentary team that I would insert myself in. You know what I mean? But as just a person with my own goals and my own things that I want to do and that I, I think are fun and that I could be really good at, like, absolutely. I think I think doing commentary, you know, would be would be you know, a dream come true on top of a dream come true. It would be a blast. Yeah, you did it with Tom Phillips, is that right? Yes. Yeah, he's he's an absolute great guy. I've uh, I've got this weird relationship with Tom where I, I, I met him for the first time at WrestleMania, uh, might, was it last year? It might have been last year, yeah, before you did NXT UK. And for some reason, I'd been out and we passed each other on the, on the escalators and we'd never met and we were quite far away and we both just locked eyes and then started staring each other out and trying not to blink. And then it escalated from this to the next time uh, we're dr I'm going down the road in a taxi and I wind my window down and I shout something really absurd to Tom Phillips. I've never, ever met him before in my life. Just start And then it's become this back and forth thing where we were trying to one up each other. <laughs> and, uh, and again, it came to the point where we'd never, ever met each other or even like spoke to each other properly until he came to NXT UK. But I already had this 
this relationship with Tom that was built upon us trying to creep each other out and put each other off. But yeah, how did you find working with uh, with Tom Phillips? Well, working with him is great because he's he's such a professional. He makes it so easy. Like it's so less pressure to have a guy like Tom Phillips next to you. It's incredible. But yeah, I mean, I remember with Tom, uh, maybe a year ago, I went in um, and just did some uh, commentary on tape just to get some reps in, just to kind of, you know, again, get a feel for it and just kind of be in that position where, yeah, in case we ever want you, you know, we just want to kind of show you how to do it and, and show you the ins and outs, you know, because we're not going to teach you how to be you, but just to get a feel for what this art form actually is um, as you learn how to do it. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds amazing. I would I, just going down to learn, even if it leads nowhere, would be an amazing experience. So I went down and did that, and I taped a bunch of matches with Tom, and uh, it was great. And then we got dinner after and everything. And the next day, my phone starts ringing, and it's Tom. And I'm like, huh. I was like, oh, I wonder if somebody heard the audition. I wonder if they liked it. I wonder if it sucked. Like, I wonder what this is all about. And I'm like, hello? And he goes, Sam. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, have you ever seen uh, The Mighty Ducks 2? And I was like, yeah, I've seen D2. And he was like, dude, that movie makes no sense. <laughs> I was like, what? And he was like, he was like, I just, I don't know. For some reason, I thought you were the person to call with this. I was just watching it on HBO, and none of it makes any sense. I don't know why I liked it as a kid. And I'm like, Tom, tell me more. Let's get into this. <laughs> and, like, and, and just went in depth on like step by step why the Mighty Ducks 2 and nothing about it makes any sense from the beginning all the way to the end. And I'm like, Tom, I'm really glad you called me with this. I'm, I'm glad that I'm that person for you. I think the first conversation I actually ever had with him is we, we see each other from the cost of the uh, catering. I walk up to him. We shake hands really aggressively. And I go, oh, what are you doing here? He goes, oh, they brought me off for commentary. I go, as if I thought this show couldn't get any worse. He goes, well, you're on the show. And then we shook hands and walked away. <laughs> and that was literally our, our, our entire introduction. And I don't think we spoke to each other for the rest of the day. That was it. And uh, Mark Andrews like, when did you meet Tom Phillips? I went about 30 seconds ago. He's like, why do you have this relationship? I was like, I have no idea. It's just seemingly come from it. So I love the fact that he's like that with everybody. That's absolutely great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a sense of humor. Uh, how I usually like to wrap these up then, Sam, is um, if you could go back and give your um, – this is going to be two-part, I guess, two questions here. If you could go back and give your former self any advice, what would it be? And if you could give anyone who's trying to get into wrestling journalism advice right now, what would it be? So, yeah, two-part question there because I know we'll probably have a lot of people listening to this who uh, would have the same dream as you did trying to get into uh, wrestling as journalism. Uh, I would tell my former self to just keep plugging away and trust the process. Just, you know, there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. You're going to get rejected a thousand times. Don't worry about it. Just trust the process. Keep, keep plugging away. And as your skill level rises, everything will work out as it is supposed to work out. Just, just keep going. Um, as far as somebody new, I would say, uh, I would say cast a wide net, man. I would say, I, I, I would say, you know, don't try to limit yourself to one thing, at least in the beginning. You know, are you just going to cover wrestling? You can, but are there other things that you can cover too? Maybe, maybe start figuring out what else there is out there and just, just see how it all feels. You know, I, I think that, that a big part of this is I think that people, when they're very young, if they have very specific very kind of uh, one path goals, 
It's very easy to get knocked off that path. It's very easy for that path to change. And honestly, when you're young, you don't even know exactly what that thing is that you're after. You think you know what it is, but like you don't know what it is. And things change and, and things evolve and you kind of have to be able to move with that. So I would say, you know, cast a wide net and concentrate more on just doing the stuff that number one, you enjoy and number two, that you're good at. Because when you're young, you can get away with doing that stuff. You know, as you get older, you're going to have to figure out like, okay, this really needs to make money. Okay, this needs to go somewhere. Okay, what, 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 what are we doing here? But in the beginning, just do the stuff that you're good at and you enjoy and do it all the time. Don't go on vacation. Don't do it once a week and go like, okay, I did that. I mean all the time. If you like it, and you're good at it. There's no reason not to be obsessed with it. Just don't stop doing it. And eventually you'll be like, oh, look at this. Look at this body of work I've built up. Like, look, look at this that I haven't even been thinking about. It's just because I just kept going and going and going and going. I mean, I'm sure it's not that dissimilar when you're a young wrestler and you think that you want to have a certain style and, and you think that you want to be a certain way, but you haven't even learned, right? You haven't even learned how to do that stuff. And the only thing you can really do is just wrestle as much as humanly possible and, and get in front of as many crowds and have as many opponents and have as many matches as humanly possible until you figure out what you're good at, who you are, and just build off of that until you realize, like, oh, look at this, look at this body of work I've created without even really trying. Yeah, I think that's totally right. Again, when it comes down to the wrestlers, there's so many people, especially now, you kind of see the bigger promotions and it's so, it's so, you see those bright lights and that's where they want to be. But there's nothing worse than getting to a position really high up when you're not ready for it. And you don't have yeah. that body walk, uh, yeah. body work, like you're saying. Um, and again, it's, you're be it's better failing in front of nobody um, and making sure that you kind of know what you're bad at. So that when yeah. you are given a chance to kind of show what you're good at, you can kind of go that way. Yeah, I mean, of all the times that I got rejected for things that I wanted to do, and, you know, I told you, I got, <laughs> I didn't even get a rejection from WWE. I just got a, like, no, we're, I don't know, nothing. Just a nothing. But you know what? If they had called me and been like, yeah, we want you on board. Yeah, come join our broadcast team. It would have been a disaster. I would have been out the door, uh, you know, within a year. I would have left radio for it. I would have thrown everything away, and then it wouldn't have lasted anyway because I was not ready to do it then. And, and I'm, I, I, I am so, I'm as happy for every rejection that I've had as I am for, for the things that have worked out, because those are the things that are, are kind of supposed to happen, I think. No, I, t I totally agree. Sam, where can, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, not Sam across all forms of social media, not Sam.com, uh, tons of content always going up at youtube.com slash not Sam. And of course, not Sam Wrestling is the podcast. It's out every Monday. Everywhere podcasts are available, Not Sam Wrestling. That is fantastic. Sam, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, I always say this, but I really hope that in uh, about a year or two time, we can have you back on the show and we can talk about how you're now the main commentator for Raw or SmackDown. Let's do it. <laughs> let's, let's plan on it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, man. How good was that? I know I say it every week, but it really was. I, As I said at the start, I really enjoy these episodes with people who aren't wrestlers because it's unique to me. It's These stories really catch me off guard. So it's like I can see where they're going or I've heard 
stories of how people have got there or you know i've sat down and chatted to him sam's somebody i've met a couple times he's always been absolutely lovely with us he's always um been an absolute gentleman uh, really warm really friendly and it's it's such a pleasure to listen to sam first off it was a pleasure to go on his podcast and uh, chat with him but it was also a pleasure to flip it around and have him on mine because his story is unique uh, to hear how he got involved in journalism and how he always kind of wanted to be a wrestling journalist but didn't know how to get into it and then went on the route of, of regular journalism and radio and we talk about podcasts he's a he's a he's a big he's a big podcaster he's a big radio fan and i know it's those stories and those he knows so much more i'm involved in podcasts now but he knows so much more about podcasting than i do because of that and he knows so much more about the history of it and why it became so big and why it's been pushed through and and why it continues to push through and about you know broadcasting through uh private radio stations and publicly owned radio stations and the movement in itself and it's just uh, a great episode and that story as well about him uh him finally getting to chat to Brock Lesnar and Heyman kind of setting it up knowing that this first question was going to be what's the haps and Lesnar's reaction to it, brilliant. He's somebody who I feel that uh, although he's now been picked up by Dory and he's still doing a lot of stuff on his side, he's also still, you know, a man who walks to the beat of his own drum and does and says what he believes. And sometimes that means people don't like that. Sometimes that means that people absolutely love it. And... Uh, I love that he has no qualms in that. Uh, in a world where we're so eager and so want to be loved, uh, Sam does his job and does his job fantastically well. And he says, this is me. You either take it or you leave it. And I respect that a hell of a lot. And uh, I really hope that uh, Sam keeps going on and on to bigger and better things within the world of wrestling. Big thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. Of course, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to uh, rate, subscribe, review um, jump over to the Twitter at Flash underscore Morgan on the Twitter, um, Facebook.com forward slash Flash Morgan Webster, um, at Flash Morgan Webster on the Instagram. I do love seeing those Instagram stories, or if you want to send me a little email. Again, set at the start, if you know how to solve my conundrum, uh, I've moved all my stuff over to Anchor. Um, I probably will be cancelling my SoundCloud Pro or whatever, or Elite or whatever you want to call it soon. I don't really want to lose all those episodes. I really don't have to sit and upload them more manually to my Anchor. But, Again, I don't want to have to pay for something on SoundCloud, which Anchor now offers for free, but I also don't want to lose my back catalogue, so I'm kind of stuck in the middle. Yeah, that's literally no idea what to do. But if you have any ideas on helping me out there, then please flash morgan at live.co.uk. I will say this. Um, we now, of course, because of Anchor, we now are in the uh, wrestling podcast charts. Um we Ripley, I think we made it to number number thirteen in all the wrestling podcast charts in the whole of the UK. Uh, Ricochet allowed us then, of course, to jump in at uh, stay at the float about nineteen or whatever, and uh, it's great. I would love to break the top ten. The top ten is full of some of the greats. Um, Bruce Pritchard's up there. Jericho's in there. Uh, Cabana, of course, is in there, and uh, I just want to kind of get myself in that top ten and try to stay there. So. Again, spread the word. That's the best way you can do it through the social medias. And please keep great subscribers in. The numbers keep going up, which is great. And hopefully uh, by the time this is all said and done, I can make sure that this is uh, something I can fully concentrate on even when I am travelling so much and I'm to uh, divide my time between this and fully wrestling. 
But if you are enjoying the podcast, please be sure to get on the social media and let everybody know. Okay, something a little different this week. So, uh, next week's guest, I usually don't tell you this, and uh, but I'm, I'm telling you with good reason. So, um, next week's guest, and I want to get a lot of years on this. Next week's guest is Sierra Loxton. So, uh, if anyone who follows Sierra Loxton, you'll know her story. You'll know that uh, what's gone on over the last week. Uh, for anyone who isn't um, familiar with Sierra Loxton, I'll uh, I'll fill you in. She is a Welsh professional wrestler. She uh, came from the same school that uh, I'm from. She uh, was trained briefly by Mike Bird and then by Wild Ball Mike Hitchman and a little bit by Mark Andrews. She's someone who is 22 years old, um, has wrestled internationally, has wrestled for Progress, has wrestled for ICW, everything you can do uh, in this country. Uh, she's she's done it really, she's, I mean wrestling-wise, um, apart from winning major championships, she's wrestled for everywhere and had a, a very bright career in front of her. Um, unfortunately, uh, 18 months, two years ago, um, in a in the wrestling ring, she broke her back. And um, thankfully, she um, she had surgery and she's now able to walk and uh, live a good quality of life. She is in pain still. Um, she has screws in her back. She's recently been told that those screws have to come out. But of course, we are in the pandemic. But because the fact that they they can't operate at the moment because it's not life threatening, it has caused an, an a further on uh, injury of her back. I'll let her explain that next week. And uh, she has now been told that she has to retire from professional wrestling at the age of twenty two. Uh, this is a girl I've known since the age of 14. She's um, she's a lovely girl. Um, as I said, had the world in front of her. She really could have done loads. And uh, she's coming on the podcast next week to kind of round up her wrestling career. And she's going to talk about it all. We're going to talk about um, the injury. We're going to talk about the stuff she's done. Her complete journey, a retrospect of her career. But hopefully we are then going to end up with her talking about what she wants to do next within the world of professional wrestling. So she is somebody that a lot of you might not know. She is somebody a lot of you might know. She is somebody that some of you might have heard of a little bit. Uh, she's somebody that um, you might have heard a lot of. Um, all I'm asking is it's a, a very important story, especially for me, but also for her, that's, that I'd really like to say that let you know who's going to be next week's guest. And I'd really kind of like to say, come on, let's uh, let's get some years on this. So if you can, uh, if you know anyone's a big fan of Sierra Loxton, if you know anyone who you believe would be a big fan of her, or if you are somebody who's a big fan of her and want other people to listen, then uh, when that podcast does drop next week, let's please retweet it, let's please share it, let's please get her story out there. So yeah, next week's guest is Sierra Loxton. So yeah, I think that sums it all up. Big thanks to Sam Roberts for coming on the show. A uh, big thanks for Sierra Loxton, who will be next week's guest. And a big thanks for everyone who is still taking their wonderful time out uh, and listening to these podcasts. I hope that the people who are going to go back to work now um, are going to be using these podcasts for commuting. And I hope uh, it really helps you commute or you walk or if you're in work, I hope that helps as well. Um, or if you're still on furlough, you're still at home, still locked in. And I hope that uh, this podcast makes your day a little bit brighter. But yeah, thanks for your time. Uh, all I have to say is uh, always a pleasure, always a treasure, and bye. Thanks for stopping by. Later, people. Stay safe.